we're in Joshua 3, but if you're already there, stick your finger there, put your ribbon in, and go to John 14 first. I was doing some study for Sunday's sermon and got hung up in uh, some F.W. Borum articles, uh, one of my favorite uh, little devotional writers' essays. And um, so I, I got into the upper room discourse, Jesus with his disciples, as sort of an introduction to Joshua and the Israelites uh, about to break camp and go into the promised land, into Canaan. Uh, so Jesus is in the upper room. You know, it's the night before his crucifixion or this evening after this upper room discourse, he will be arrested. And so he's spending his last day and evening with the disciples, preparing them for their journey without him. Uh, and they've established the, uh, they, uh, observing the Passover, establishing the Lord's Supper. He's washed their feet. Uh, he has given them some future promises, told them about the future. And so he closes, he starts chapter 14 with let not your heart be troubled. And then beginning in verse 25, it's hard to know where the upper room ends, but he seems to make some sort of a conclusion at the end of 14. But beginning, beginning in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then here he says, rise, let us go from here. It seems like in 15 and 16 he continues the upper room discourse, but it may have been outside of the upper room. We really don't know. But I would just, what Borum reminded me of is, think about this evening, how valuable it is to the twelve as Jesus is about to be arrested. He's told them, he's warned them, we'll see Sunday morning, he... Uh, in the uh, middle of his ministry, he warns them that he's going to be captured and die. Uh, but now we're right there. <laughs> we're at it. They're about to leave here, and they're going to go into the 
uh, Garden of Gethsemane, uh, and then he'll be arrested in just a bit. But think about this, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, And then he ends with, let's go from here. And so just with this evening with them, I've uh, pointed out a few things. The the blessing of this uh, fellowship that they have with Jesus for this time. They've been uh, going through the ministry for about three, three and a half years maybe. They've been very busy. They've traveled. Uh, It's been a very eventful week in Jerusalem and uh, they're coming close to it. Uh, it's, it's, and, and so they probably have no desire to leave this upper room. It's been an enjoyable evening. They've eaten together. They've observed the Passover. Jesus has gotten rid of Judas. Uh, Judas has been dismissed. All of the things that he's taught them, all of the hope he's given them, and yet he's told them he's leaving. Um, Think about the Mount of Transfiguration. What, how, how does Peter react? How do the disciples react? Let's build some monuments here. This was really good. Elijah was here. Moses was here. Jesus was all in uh, uh, dazzling white. Well, let's just build some monuments and stay here, and Jesus takes them straight down the mountain. Um, well, here he says, Arise, let us go. Uh, they've enjoyed the fellowship. We don't want this to end. Let's just stay a while, you know. Um, so the the fellowship is sweet, but Jesus says, "Let's go." And so then, rise, let us go. Uh, uh, there, what Bora mentions is the priceless blessing of divine disturbances in our life. Things can't go on forever in the in the same way. Uh, uh, Moses, as he's about to die there in Deuteronomy that we've looked at, gives the people an understanding of the value of disturbances. Think about the end of Moses' life. They're about to change leadership. They're about to go from one land to the next land. Um, uh, the life, one, they've been 40 years in the wilderness. Now they're going into a life of battle to conquer the land. Here's what Moses says in Deuteronomy 32. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him Speaking of Israel as Jacob, the Lord guided Jacob, speaking of the nation of Israel, uh, the Lord guided him. No foreign God was with them. Like an eagle, what the mother eagles would do, they'll build their nests and have their babies. But when they build the nest, they kind of line it with nice, soft, uh, soft material as they can find. But as soon as these babies begin to grow, what the mother does is tear the nest up. The mother does not protect the nest. The mother makes the nest uncomfortable for the babies so that they'll learn to fly, so that they won't want to stay in their 
home because you have all kinds of uh, predators that will come and prey on these babies if they stay in the nest. And there's no reason to fly as long as they stay in the nest. So what the mother will do piece by piece, she will destroy the nest, protecting from the hawks and the vultures and snakes and all of the predators. Um, And so that's what uh, uh, Moses, that's the illustration that Moses is using. Uh, The little ones uh, may resent being taken out of the nest, with the nest being destroyed. And yet the Lord has a purpose for us not to get too comfortable in any of our circumstances. The upper rooms that we experience uh, and the comfortable times in our lives are not intended to be per- permanent. Uh, the, the disciples have a calling to, make, to, to meet, and so Jesus says, it's time to go now. Uh, and it's the same for us, you know. Uh, uh, it, we'll leave here. I don't know how you feel about a Sunday morning together, and a Wednesday evening together, a Sunday evening together. But there's some times when I'd rather not go home because I know what's facing me tonight, tomorrow. Uh, and we have to go back into that rough and tumble. It would be easier just to hang out with y'all. And we just enjoy each other, right? Well, the Lord has a purpose in sending us back out there. Uh, uh, but when we do, when he does, he, he guides us. Anyone who's willing to do his will, he'll know of God's teaching, of the teaching, whether or not it's true or not, John says in John chapter 7. So uh, the Lord will guide us when, he, when it's time to move. He will guide us. He will lead the way. The Lord Jesus says, arise, uh, follow me, if you will. He may not give us a fleece. And do on and off the fleece like with Gideon or or Aaron's rod that buds or those kinds of guidances. But he provides a means for us to know his way, his will, his purpose, as long as we're willing to follow it. You know, one of the reasons we struggle with God's will when it's not clear in Scripture is because if we knew what it was, we wouldn't do it anyway. If you're willing to do his will, there's no problem. I mean, the Lord will show you his way. But it's when we... Uh, I remember when I was working for the oil company, and I went to a conference uh, when I was at the other church, uh, uh, and, and I went to a, a, a conference, and that was really the, the week that the Lord definitely assured me that I would... I was going to leave the oil company and go into full-time ministry. And so I began to pray, um, and, and June began to pray. And essentially, I prayed that Lord will go anywhere in, in the Houston area. And nothing, no direction. Lord will go anywhere in Texas. And it was not, we were not given clear direction until we finally said, wherever you want to send us. You know? I mean, if we're willing to do his will, he'll give, 
he'll provide the means of guidance. Again, it may not be with a fleece or it may not be with these signs that sometimes we think, oh, that's telling us what to do, right? But he will guide us. Uh, I'll counsel you. He'll guide us with his eye. Uh, Psalm 32. We'll follow till we die. And we'll understand it better by and by. If you know that psalm. Uh, so when we look to him for guidance, he, he guides us. Set your mind on things above. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Those calls of, the, uh, of, of focusing upon him. God will make it clear if we're willing to follow. We'll see that in Joshua. And just the last one, uh, the blessing of God's presence with us. He doesn't say, okay, guys, arise and go. He says, arise, let us go. And he walks with us as he guides us and works through us, in us, through us. Joshua chapter 3. In a sense, if we can make a bit of an analogy, they've been on the east side of the Jordan and they have uh, enjoyed, they're not traveling around it like they were in the wilderness for 40 years. They've been camped, uh, making the transition from Moses to Joshua. Uh, and now it's time to go. So in a sense, God is saying, arise, let's go. We're going in to take the promised land. Chapter 3 of Joshua. I'm going to read through the whole chapter and then we'll come back and walk through it. So, so far, God has commissioned Joshua. Joshua assumes command. The spies, last week we looked at the spies who went in and, and uh, stayed with Rahab and, 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 and how God took care of those spies. Now it's time to go. Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet... There shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in, or, excuse me, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant... When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, 
and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the, in the brink, in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of, the, of harvest, The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So, uh, 17 times in chapters 3 and 4, the ark is mentioned. What kind of significance do we have there? The ark. Okay, the presence of God. Um it's, it's central to this whole picture because it does indicate to the people, it's a visible symbol to the people that God is going with them across the river. Um, uh, he leads his people into Canaan. He's going to show himself strong by stopping the waters of the Jordan, holding the floods back. So... He's making sure that everybody realizes in the, Israeli, in the Israelite camp that God is the one who accomplishes this. Uh, the Israelites are really just spectators in one sense. They're active. They're following God's lead, God's commands, but God is the one who accomplishes it. Uh, verse 4 There shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. How far is that? (laughs) 3,000 feet, 1,000 yards, um, over a half a mile. Uh, Now, there's a sense in which there's majesty with the ark, right? But, I don't, but, but that's not the purpose for the distance. Notice why it is that the, he has them stand 3,000 feet back. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. There's a sense in which he says stay back so you can get a, a, a proper perspective of what is going to happen. You've not gone this way before. 
And that way you'll be able to see the way that they go with the ark and you'll be able to follow it. Who, 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 who all's with, who all's going to be crossing the Jordan? Hmm? Twelve tribes? Two and a half. The, the, the wives and the children will stay on the east side of the Jordan. Their men have to go fight, and then they can come back and keep their land on that side. They'd rather stay in the upper room. Right? But no, the only way they can have the two and a half tribes on the east side of the river outside of Canaan is if the men will come and help with the conquest first. So the wives and children, but then nine and a half tribes of all the people and then two and a half tribes of the men are going to cross. That's a bunch of people. And they're coming with their belongings. They're coming with animals, their livestock. Uh, This is a horde of people. And so the Lord is saying, be sure you stay back you know, for the spies to cross, they, no big deal. You know, they could swim, well, maybe could swim across. But this is this whole wad of people, and he, he's helping them know how to navigate uh, through this uh, situation. Um, verse 5, they were to prepare themselves, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. So there's preparation that the people had to make. Uh, The same preparations that Moses had the people make before they were to go on their uh, journey uh, with the Passover. Uh, They they had to wash their clothes. Um, They were to confess their sins. And so when the Lord comes to his people through these early days, through the Israelite times and well in even to the kings, they were to be prepared for the Lord's visit uh, so that they might recognize God when he works among them. Um, You know, without proper insight and expectancy and preparation, they could see God's work and not give him the glory and not understand the significance and not appreciate it and I think there's a principle there for us Um, we need to prepare to meet God on Sunday we can come um, unprepared and not be impressed with his glory we can You know, he he doesn't part the Jordan River for us every Sunday morning for us to come to church. But he does some marvelous things every Sunday morning. Uh, Because he has promised to do that as we congregate for worship. And if we don't come prepared and if we don't come to worship, we cannot appreciate what's happening. We can get bored with the preacher. We can get tired of the same old songs. We can not be helped and worship our God. God is about to make himself 
known in a mighty, mighty way. And he says to these Israelites, to Joshua, to tell these Israelites to consecrate themselves so that they might understand the significance of what is about to happen. We need to be prepared. Um, Could it be we don't notice or appreciate God's working in the routine and mundane affairs of our lives because we don't expect him to do anything out of the ordinary? Do you ever expect God to do something? Do you come and wonder what he's going to do with you this this morning or this evening? Do you ever wonder what he's going to do in the life of of the person sitting next to you? Or up in front or down in the back in the back? Do you expect God to do things or do you just kind of, I mean, we are supposed to be here on Sunday, right? You're here on Wednesday. I mean, you get extra credit for that. (laughs) Do you come expecting the power of God to work? Um, I can't, well, if you've trusted Christ as Savior and have not learned how to worship him, chances are you've found the Christian life disappointing. If you don't learn to worship him. So, verse 7, as we go on, uh, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The Lord is kind to these people to show them he's going to exalt Joshua so that they might have confidence in Joshua just like they had confidence in Moses, these faithful ones. Verse 8, And as for you, Joshua, command the priests to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. So Joshua, God is going to exalt Joshua by uh, giving them confidence in his leadership. Uh, Moses has died, leadership's transferred. It's crucial for Joshua to be secure himself. He's going to give Joshua assurance that he is, God is with him, and then he's going to give Israel assurance that uh, God is with Joshua uh, in his leadership. And then verse 10, and Joshua said, here is how you know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you all the Canaanites and those I, those all of those tribes of the Canaanites. Here's how you're going to know that. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Take these 12 men uh, from each tribe. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan will be cut off from flowing. Um, so um, there's the assurance of God's power. He's 
given assurance of Joshua. He's given assurance to Joshua. Uh, and if God can tame this river, he can surely uh, make surely conquer these Canaanite people that he has promised uh, Israel they will uh, defeat. Uh, if he can tame the river, he can subdue the Canaanites. If God gives his son, will he not give us all things? All right? Yes, Dave. Um, the people that didn't want to cross over, they, everybody's died off, right? Yes, yeah. Joshua and Caleb were, were left. So this new generation, uh-huh. what miracles had they witnessed God doing for them? As children, I guess, some of the others. It's only those who were 20 and under who had to die off, 21, who had to die off. So the children would have seen things. They would not have maybe understood them all. Uh, But they've conquered coming up that side, east side of the Jordan River. They've conquered Moab. They've conquered uh, the Amorites. They've conquered people all the way up throughout the times. So God has defeated people already uh, through them, using them. Yes, sir. As the Exodus had begun, so it ended. Mm. Yes. We'll see exact, We'll see how it is that uh, God points that out to us. And I'll just say it now. On the very same day of the year that God established the Passover in Egypt, he is, we're here. On that very same day, uh, 40 years later. And so the redemption begins in the Exodus. The redemption is sealed right here in the crossing of the Jordan on the same day. Coincidence, I mean, I know, but still. The Lord is at work sealing these redeemed people, redeemed at least physically redeemed, right? Covenant people of God. What's that? And completed at Calvary. Yes, for sure. Yes. Well, uh, Exodus 16. Um, uh, God, who had delivered them from Egypt, promised to feed them. Right? Uh, If I can redeem you, I can feed you. And immediately, he said, you know, gather manna six days. You get a double portion on Sunday, on, on, on the sixth day. It'll carry you over on the seventh. And what do they do? Immediately they go out on the seventh day looking for more. Um, so what they didn't do, Joshua is leading the people to do, to trust God. Um, so uh, God is going to reveal his power. Uh, 
you will know the living God is among you there in verse 10. He is the Lord of all the earth. He's our boundless, our limitless God. Then uh, verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan... And the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the waters. Okay, come on, what's next? You got a parenthesis. We get a, we get a uh, river condition report. You know, you think you're, you think you're in the hill country and, uh, you know, what's the flood, flood stage or something. Uh, he, he gives this parenthesis right here in the middle of telling the story. Um, well, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Um, this very far away is about 20 miles upstream. We're way down almost where the Jordan goes into the Dead Sea, right? We're just, just north of where the Jordan River pours into the Dead Sea. Zarephath is halfway up to the Sea of Galilee. So the, the river dries up for 20 miles, and it just empties out into the Dead Sea, and it's, they go across on... Uh, dry land. So there's this, you know, my ways are higher than your ways. The Lord works in strange ways at times, but this is how he does it, and he's building the story, and then he has that parenthesis there. You wonder, I mean, no, we don't have to wonder. You know, verse 14 sets us at the precipice. The people uh, set out and the priests bearing the ark and as soon as those bearing the ark come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests are in the water and then he goes by the way uh, there's a lot of water here this time of year this, this, and and uh, it just kind of you know seems to it's like like the TV commercial you know at the, or the end of your series for this week and you got to wait till next week right for it to come back and know what's it that it's it's kind of like that but there's a real purpose here um, just to do some um, thoughts about this flood stage river um, I'm going to read my notes because I can't give you a geography or weather report. But the Jordan Valley between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, if I remember right, it's about 40 miles. Um, it's anywhere the Jordan Valley. Now, as they, they're, they're in the plains of Moab, so they're down in the valley on the west side of Shittim where they come across. They only go about uh, uh, 12 miles or so across the river to Jericho. It's only just 
10 or 12 miles, right? <clears throat> and the valley is somewhere between 3 and 14 miles wide, this valley uh, of, of the Jordan. Um, the floodplain, what would the floodplain be? The plain where it comes out, the river comes out, 200 yards to a mile wide. But the plain is full of jungle and brush. And then as it floods over, it floods into the jungle and the brush. And there's crosses, there's fords in the river here and there where they make their paths through. So... um, uh, the river crossings, not only do they have to cross the river and it's flood tide, they also have to get through the jungle. And that's part of why they're standing up watching the priest take the ark so that they can find the ford, the, the, the cut through the jungle, besides getting through the river or getting to the river. So there is a reason for the parentheses here to tell us it is a flood stage time, God is going to show himself mighty, even in the midst of the most water that's ever in the Jordan Valley. It wasn't due to climate change. Your commentary says that? I don't believe you have a commentary that says that. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, your commentary. There you go. Your commentary. Okay, I got you. Yes. Yes, every year it happened, right? <laughs> you know, so it's it's as big and strong as it ever is. Uh, it's probably a mile wide, the river, the flooded river, and typically the uh, uh, Jordan is, I think, oh yeah, three to 12 foot deep. Now it's flooded out into probably a mile wide of water, plus that water is covering the jungle. And so the Lord is going to bring them right through all that. So the flood does have a purpose to show the might of God, uh, his uh, power. Um, So God led Israel through the Jordan at that particular time of the year, uh, which is the tendency of how it is that he works to show show Israel that it's not of them. It's of him that they are sustained. That's exactly what he does with Gideon, right? Oh, you got way too many people. You got way too many people, Gideon. You don't need but a couple hundred. Midianites, ah, they're warriors, but you... We, and so the Lord shows himself mighty with just a tiny few... Uh, with Gideon in particular. Uh, And so he'll do everything it takes to cause us to realize our total dependency upon him. Uh, And so he sends them across this river at this flood stage time. Yes, Jim? The ark brought them through another flood. flood. Yeah, that's good. Yes? yeah, you were talking about the ark. You know, that they, it's a good thing they didn't put it on an ox cart. Yeah, they were smart enough to put it on an ox cart. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were. These priests were a little, uh, were, were uh, more, orthodox. more orthodox. Yes, they had seen the golden calf episode. They didn't want that to happen. Later on, they came to see Elijah crossing the Jordan with Elisha. Takes his mantle and he's able to go across dry shot. Mm-hmm. Elijah comes back. Mm-hmm. Aaron, yes, yes. And uh, right after the Brick Zebra was talking about how the water stopped at the city of Adam, mm-hmm. and that's, you said something like 20 miles. That is, it gives you another city, Zerathan. We, we, extremely wide, dry area across. Yes. Yeah. yeah would give them enough room to walk around the ark by 2002. Okay, yes, yeah. Uh, I, I had a topographic map put into my uh, program and I didn't bring my laptop. It's really interesting because they are, the, they're uh, from the hills, they're down in the plain of the Jordan River Valley that's, you know, and Jericho is at the foot of the hills that go up to, you know, Jerusalem into the Judean hills. So they're just in the valley here of the Jordan River. And it's 10 or 12 miles, like I say, I think, across from Shittim to uh, they're going to uh, camp at Gilgal. Chapter 4 will have them camp at Gilgal, which is just on the outskirts of Jericho. And they go right into Jericho in Chapter 6. So, yeah, it, it helps me to get that picture of we're not just going across, you know, South Texas. <laughs> we're not just going across flat land from, from uh, uh, across the Jordan. We're just, you know, going across whatever, I don't know, St. Mary's Bayou over here in Friendswood or something and just going straight across on level land. They are in the plain, but they're about to go up the mountain to the Judean hill. Um, let's see, we got to stop. It's time to stop. Um, so the Lord will cause us to realize how utterly dependent we are on him. If we make it through, it's only by his grace and power. And and the Israelites will have no question about that. He teaches us our inability. And then he's going to help us know and remember that our help comes from the Lord. Uh, who made heaven and earth. That would be right here. And then Psalm 121, verse 2. Anything else? Um, we're about to chapter 4. We almost got to chapter 4, which is good. Anything else? Any questions? Any comments? Any of your Old Testament buffs got anything to add? What's that? Okay, that gallery is shut down. Well, we're in the water. The priests have their feet wet. And uh, we're about to see uh, God is about to show himself mighty. And come back next week, sorry. Father, we do thank you that you do reveal yourself, that you go with us in the power of your spirit, Father, that as we seek to follow Christ, our master, imitate those of the faith who you've shown us faithful through your word, that you will 
guide us surely. We can be confident that as we go, we'll be walking in your way and your purposes. Lord, otherwise, if you don't go with us, if you don't guide us, we would be best not to go. Lord, we know that. We understand that. So help us to uh, trust in your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.